Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. All right, today on this episode of Ask Krista, I have kind of a fun little thing. Well, I thought it would be fun. I want to have a live Ask Krista call. Um, And so I'm going to do that on Zoom. I'm going to do it on July 20th. I think it's a Tuesday, July 20th at 1230 Mountain Time, 230 Eastern Time. It's a 60 minute small group call via Zoom. So you can pick my brain on topics like this is for dietitians and licensed health professionals only this time because when you kind of cultivate a group of like-minded people um, it's more helpful for that particular group so if I do this in the future I'll try to pick a particular topic or an interest area so that way we can kind of keep it focused and it's actually more useful to everyone there so this call it's like a live ask me anything call on July 20th, 1230 Mountain Time, 230 Eastern Time, there's limited seats. It's 20 seats only. I've done stuff like this before, and usually about 50% of people show up live for calls, and the other people watch the replay. So I think that's the perfect group for a live session where we can get through everyone's questions. So we can talk about clinical questions, like what kind of testing I use and how to interpret market markers and experience what works for certain conditions, or we can talk about business questions. We can talk about podcast questions. I can give a second opinion on your case or another case. All of that needs to be kind of submitted when you register for the call. You can go to askkrista.com and if it's sold out and if it sells out really quickly, I may add another one and then we'll just put the information for that one in the same at the same URL. We'll redirect it so there might be a different date. If you see a different date, it's because the first one sold out quickly and I decided that I would do another one. But I'm just trying this for fun. I will not cover insurance questions, scope of practice, legal stuff. I'm not a lawyer um, or any emails before or after. And if you feel like it's not worth $30 for an hour of my time to have a discussion, then I, you know, or you feel like you have to send an email about it, like it's probably not a good fit. Um, so there will be a replay available. You don't have to come for the whole time. Come and go as you need, as you please. And I'm just doing it for fun. And I feel like I want to get to know you and to serve this community a little bit more. So, Welcome to the Lustrous Life, where I think that everyone deserves a life without inflammation, food sensitivities, and fatigue. Today, in a very timely way, we're going to do some Ask Krista questions, or I'm actually doing questions that have showed up in my inbox very recently or this week. So 
First, I want to mention a quick review that someone submitted to one of my guests, Beatrice Boaz. She was in episode 229 called Creating the Life You Want Through New Neural Pathways Following Destiny and a live theta breathwork session. So the end of that episode is 15 minutes of Bia's very... I think it's trademarked mashup of theta healing and breathwork combination. And it's, it's kind of next level. I remember having this conversation with a group of our clients recently where I said, have you ever had that tingly kind of breathwork where you're really um, changing up your carbon dioxide amount? Whatever. I can't speak to it beautifully yet, but and they were like, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. So I've got a couple breathwork sessions on the podcast, this one and one that's upcoming with a, with a different breathwork coach of mine. And so Heather submitted a, a message to Bia on Instagram that says, I had the most profound experience through your work on the Lestros Life podcast. And so that's just a good testament to go check that one out, to find a quiet place for 15 minutes and to fast forward through the last 15 minutes, cover your eyes and take it all in. All right. So the first question is from Frankie via Instagram. Uh, My Instagram is anti-inflammatory nutritionist. There's some dots in there, but it should pop right up. And uh, it doesn't say, you can't really search my name, but you can search anti-inflammatory nutritionist. So Frankie said, I am wondering what the best thing for me to get more energy to lose weight with hypothyroidism. I considered intermittent fasting, but not sure what that should look like. (laughs) When I get a question like this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a loaded question. All right, let's talk about the, the thoughts that don't really work here. All right, hypothyroidism. Let's talk about that briefly. I have strong feelings about this, and if you'd like to know about my feelings on how people's thyroids don't work well, even if they don't have diagnosed hypothyroidism, check out episode number 228 that came out on April 6th, how we are missing subclinical hypothyroidism. Your labs are fine, but you're not fine, thyroid edition. All right, so briefly, symptoms of sluggish thyroid or hypo, so hypothyroid diagnosed clinically is going to be quite more severe than a sluggish thyroid. It's just not working well under stress and poor nutrient cofactors, but in general, Symptoms, the big three would be fatigue, hair loss, and feeling cold extremities are entirely cold, but in general, it's your metabolic rate, so things slow down. You can um, have weight loss resistance, or you can gain weight, you can have slow motility, which causes gut issues, and the list goes on and on and on. So that's why this, why Frankie is struggling with weight loss and hypothyroidism. It's very common. So first things first, if this person is diagnosed with hypothyroidism, uh, it takes a lot of refining with your endocrinologist on thyroid meds, like a lot, like a year plus minimum probably. And maybe the current endocrinologist is not your best one, or you need to educate yourself a little bit more outside of that. So that's the medication side of it. But from a factor of how do we improve how your thyroid works on its own. One, if you have good gut health, that's a great thing. And then there are a lot of cofactors for the thyroid. There's iodine, there is magnesium, there are B vitamins that help that work well. So that's a whole loaded thing in its overall topic. Um, I, you know, for me, when I think about energy, I do think about sluggish thyroid and I think about there's so many other things that are contributing to low energy, how we eat, our circadian rhythms, our gut health, our drainage, detoxification and drainage. So I don't know anything about Frankie, but what I can tell you is that the thyroid does need carbohydrates to function. And if you have profound gut issues, then, and that may, it may not seem as profound to you. It just kind of depends. Um, if you want to, I would just Google gut issues or, I mean, we could have an episode that talks about like symptoms of gut issues that maybe are not gut related, like skin issues, throat clearing, just stuff. 
if you have gut issues, you're not going to metabolize or break down carbohydrates very well. And so they're going to be feeding what's going on in your gut versus feeding your thyroid and being used by the energy, by the body for energy carbs. We've kind of gotten this like mentality in life that carbs are not good, but really you, if you're breaking them down and utilizing them, your body would use them for energy. And so that's kind of like basic, just basic macronutrients 101. And so if people tell me they feel really good on intermittent fasting, intermittent fasting does have a lot of research-based benefits, but if they're feeling good on intermittent fasting, I think that's a sign of gut symptoms, first of all. Um, not a dead ringer. Again, there's right or wrong ways to do this. And more importantly, your thyroid needs carbohydrates. So often we break our thyroid with doing no carbohydrate intake and stressing ourselves out. So I would suggest first eating at regular intervals, protein, fat, and carb, eating whole foods, and making sure you're doing something to help with the digestion of those carbohydrates if you aren't working with a practitioner that's going to help you. So a Band-Aid would be digestive enzymes, and they certainly could help in the short term. So if your thyroid is working more optimally, you can then lose weight. And if we're talking about weight loss, and I'm not a weight loss dietitian, but if I was going to be, I would focus on metabolism. So I'd focus on optimizing the thyroid and I'd focus on the basal metabolic rate, which makes up like 70% of what matters. So like eating less, that is like not going to work over 30. And so um, muscle mass is going to is going to be the most important thing. Um, so eating, and it seems counterintuitive because the inter- industry is like, eat less and exercise more. And obviously that doesn't work <laughs> um, over the age of like 29. So anyway, people say this all the time. They're like, oh, once I turned 30, that quit working. I'm like, yeah, I know. Anyway, uh, so if your thyroid is sluggish, which I don't understand how a thyroid could not be sluggish under stress and in the current environment. That's just my personal opinion. You can learn more about it on episode 229. So Frankie, I'm not really sure I would encourage intermittent fasting, especially fueled on cortisol rising coffee. By the way, high cortisol or high stress is going to can contribute to you um, gaining adipose or abdominal fat around the midsection. So I hope that's a little bit helpful. All right, next question came from Melissa. Uh, She said, if if one were to consult with you, how would I go about that? And does insurance cover it? There's a lot of questions here. So I will answer that briefly. The best way to consult with myself and my team, which I do touch all of our clients, and at this exact moment we have a wait list, just for sanity and for summer. And so I really encourage, I'm just going to offer spots to the wait list. So that's going to be the only way in the foreseeable future. Um, make sure you're at on the wait list, which is at kristabigler.com. You can learn about our program there, which is a combination of testing one-on-one and then optional group calls. And the whole thought of that is just for people to get as much support as they want if they want to show up for those. And people love, this is why I got that idea to do that um, live group call with just in general, um, this community, because people come to those group calls just to listen, (laughs) to learn about whatever people ask about. It's really interesting. Um, So it's really cool. People would say that that's not what they joined for, but they really, really love it. Okay. But anyway, there's one-on-one and testing included there. So you can learn more about that. Insurance. You know who is successful with getting insurance coverage? Accountants. They're very good. (laughs) 
at submitting super bills. So you can get a medical super bill from any licensed provider after services have been rendered and try to submit it to your insurance. It varies a lot from place to place and insurance to insurance. I have no interest in trying to keep up with that. I would just find a new job. So um, people can submit that on their own. And then another episode that needs to be done is insurance alternatives. And I have a lot of clients, myself included, that are on uh, like a health sharing plan. There's Christian Healthcare Ministry, Samaritan, et cetera. And those may share the costs actually much better than insurance and they're exponentially cheaper. I mean, I pay like $300 a month for my family of five. Okay. So Melissa says, I grew up going to what I would call a healer. I had major gut issues in college and he told me to some certain foods to avoid and that helped with everything. And I still avoid them. And Melissa is, you know, she's like, at least 10 years out of college at this point. So, but within the last year, I've developed a rash on both shins, some on my scalp, and no medicine is curing it. I have a strong inclination. It could be gut related or food allergy or something. I'm just kind of wondering what next possible steps I could take. So I want to pull this apart. Um, And again, this is where like, I have to do this in this context. Otherwise I'd have to have a dialogue with the person, which is why I'm I'm a dialogue kind of gal. So first of all, if you have some major gut issues and someone tells you to restrict foods, that can work. So in general, food adjustments seem to, I think it's good for us to experiment with our diet and explore and take an objective view. Like, oh, I'm so curious what will come out of this type thing. That's like a good attitude and a cool attitude. What I, my like kind of life's work and mission now is just to not recommend these long-term food restrictions that are not uh, not sustainable. That said, should you have a healthful, wholesome diet? Duh, you should, <laughs> but you shouldn't be down to 10 foods or 20 foods or being restrictive really, really long-term. There are experiments you can do for a handful of weeks at a time that can reduce inflammation. I sometimes use them in practice, but only if it's appropriate for the client, they're going to get a good ROI out of it or return on investment. So if you have major gut issues and you avoid some foods and it changes things, I'm just going to make a solid guess here that if this is related to like reduction of carbohydrates, well, actually let's talk about the big hot topics, gluten and dairy. Why do people struggle so much with gluten and dairy? Well, they're kind of hard to... in very, this is extremely oversimplified, but they are commonly consumed. That means they're hitting the immune system like every single day um, because we eat them in so many different things. And if you've got some gut, issue, gut issues, which I'm super biased because my, my lens is looking at gut issues all day long. If you've got some gut issues and you eat the same thing every single day, those things can start to cause an issue for you. And that's because Well, in gut permeability, it's like having a gut lining that is more like fishnet tights instead of nylons. And so two, and then things don't get digested well. So first of all, these are somewhat hard to digest things. Um, so if your digestion is poor because you're light, you're not ever getting into rest and digest because you're like constantly eating at your desk or eating on the run. Yeah. You feel called out. I know I did (laughs) in the past. Um, I've worked a lot on this and it's a difficult thing. So there's things that mean you're not digesting very well, both mechanically and internally. And then those foods don't get digested beautifully and then they may cross that fishnet tight lining or like gut permeability intestinal permeability lining and then they may start to cause some inflammation for people so that's one concept that could be happening the other thing is that people can be limiting carbohydrates so again i was talking about this earlier with um frankie's question about carbohydrates which is just such a topic on its own right like you should tolerate carbohydrates in theory Um, you should be able to digest them. It's like part of how we were designed. But anyway, 
if you avoid carbohydrates and you feel instantly better, well, that's a duh or a dead ringer that you've got gut imbalances. Why? Because gut imbalances that are not found in conventional testing typically, just throwing that in there, are, so that's actually a good point. We want to talk about the conventional functional approach and then failed functional approaches as well. And that's where I'll end this episode. But you, if you restrict those carbohydrates and you have gut imbalances, you now restricted the food source for those gut imbalances somewhat. But you also restricted the food source for the good bacteria. But in the short term, it's going to feel good. And maybe for a long time, you know, it's going to feel good. Especially we are such instant gratification people. We're like, oh my gosh, this worked right now. It worked right now. I love it. You know? And so then you just keep doing it. And then it doesn't work anymore because you never actually fix the root cause. That is like the story I hear every single day, all day long. Right? So you restrict carbohydrates. What happens when you have gut imbalances is you're not digesting properly. That means these things are not getting broken down well. They're the large um, proteins are crossing the barrier. The immune system's like, WTF, what is this big piece of apple or big piece of glue, whatever, right? And it's throwing inflammation at you. And then also undigested proteins and carbs are the preferred source of food for gut imbalances. Let's just call them weeds. What do weeds like to eat? They like to steal the food from the grass. So they steal the food from the grass. They really proliferate. They give up endotoxins. They create all kinds of other symptoms. Like in Melissa's case, these endotoxins, I talk about this all, I feel like I talk about this ad nauseum, but let's just call them dandelions, these weeds in the gut. We'll just call them dandelions, many varieties. You know, you're familiar with them. They give off these seeds. Those are endotoxins. They cross, um, those endotoxins have to be taken out by the, by the body. If they're not being taken out by the body very well, the, the skin is a safe place for your body to eliminate garbage. And so people, this is like where, this is like the breaking point for people, myself included, right? Like I did not listen to the whispers of my body. I didn't know any better. That's why I'm having this podcast. I hope, I hope that it's inspiring and, and insightful, I hope. Um, so I also did not listen to the own whispers of my body, throat clearing, not having a bowel movement every day, just being like t- too tired to clean my house, you know, things that we accept as normal until my body was screaming and I had this insane rash many years ago. So in Melissa's case, she may have some underlying gut issues. Duh, she had made her gut issues. She restricted potentially, I don't know this, but maybe she restricted the potential food source of those. It changed everything in the short term. But in the long term, there was still, so she was restricting the food source for the bad bacteria and the good bacteria, which long term isn't actually going to be fruitful for you because you actually need a lot. You need more good bacteria than bad bacteria. You need more grass than weeds. And then you're going to start to see issues showing up in other parts of your life. Like just not, you're going to maybe be tired after eating. You're not going to feel awesome. You might have some skin issues, things like that. Um, she's describing some rash on her scalp. Um, so malassezia is a type of fungus that lives, you know, shoulders and above typically. And so I would just characterize like it's the same overall thought process here, but you can have an overgrowth of bacteria and fungus. And so, yeah, I see this all the time. I've lived this. So I hope that's really helpful for Melissa. And what I want to say also, I want to talk about conventional versus functional approaches to this and failed functional approaches, because unfortunately I'm seeing a lot more of this in practice because I get to talk to a lot of people, which is a gift. Um, so in conventional, like if you go to the doctor, cause you have gut issues, um, maybe you're going to get referred to the GI, maybe not. Maybe you're going to get a diagnosis of irritable bowel syndrome, which is not like people are like, yes, I got a diagnosis or I feel validated, but that diagnosis doesn't really do anything for you. It's like a trash can diagnosis of Rotterdam criteria. So that's not really going to do anything. It just means that you're having gut dysfunction. Awesome. You did know that already actually. So 
the other thing that can happen is the GI doctor is excellent at structural interventions. I always say you can go about something from this triad, an emotional, a structural, or a nutritional angle. And I have a lot to say about all of those things, but I think GI doctors are expert in structure. And so they're going to be great at like doing scans, seeing if you're impacted. This is great for kids and constipation because if you're having a lot of urination and bedwetting at night, are they actually impacted from not having a bowel movement? I see that too often as well. So um, they're going to be good at doing like a colonoscopy, an upper scope, something like that to look and diagnose for, I'm much more interested in like IBD or irritable, um, am I going to say that right? Irritable bowel syndrome. Anyway, IBD, uh, Crohn's or colitis, essentially, which is much more severe autoimmune GI stuff. Um, Lots of really cool things we can do for that. Food stuff really does actually make a huge difference for that. So I'm glad I'm glad we arrived at that conversation as well. So they're really great at that structural evaluation. For sure, it's just like a rite of passage. You go through this semi-frustrating exploration of like appointment after appointment to do these things and prep for them, etc. But I just call them rite of passage things. Like you want to rule out that kind of stuff. And then once you've ruled out that that stuff is not your problem, then I the people land in my office <laughs> because they're like, there's nothing else that they say I can do. They just say to eat more fiber. And to me, so actually, let me go a little further. Conventional does have some stool testing. They have some infectious disease testing. So if someone sends me, I have this, like friends do this. They'll be like, oh my gosh, this person is like crapping their guts out. And I was like, take them to the doctor. They probably have Campylobacter or E. coli or something. So I work, I live in a rural community of ranchers. And so if people are working cattle and they get like crap in their mouth, they can totally, or like it hits their face, you can totally pick up a nasty pathogen that way. I mean, these are the nasty pathogens. And when the symptoms are really severe, it's good to get a workup for C. diff or E. coli or whatever. And sometimes it doesn't show up. So unfortunately, and I learned, I worked in conventional medicine for almost like maybe around 10 years before I just switched completely to private practice and podcasting and whatnot. And I, I just will never forget the people that had symptoms of like H. pylori and they test positive and they go on strong antibiotic regimens and they test negative and they, and they were like in rough shape. Um, nauseous, couldn't keep food down, couldn't gain weight. I mean, it was like extreme and the testing was just would not show positive. And now in retrospect, I'm like, our testing is so, it just lacks insane sensitivity and you just, and antibiotics are just not a cure-all for everything. They kill all good and bad bacteria and then they allow, what happens when you kill all the grass and the weeds, the weeds grow back first and that happens inside your gut. It's amazing how synonymous nature is with what happens inside your gut. No joke, no joke at all. So if you are having like these obscene symptoms in the short term acutely, get a conventional stool test if it's not. And so this is where it gets tricky. People are like, I've had a stool test. Like what kind? Um, so a few layers to this, I think are really important. So if the conventional stool test is negative, great. That makes sense. Especially if the symptoms are AKA, you know, they're somewhat more mild. I know they're not mild to you, but they're more mild than like crapping your brains out 10 times a day. Right. So that's maybe going to be picked up on a conventional stool test. That's the sensitivity (laughs) level of that. And then, from there, there are functional stool tests. Um, some are approved by the FDA, some are not. Pfft, whatever. Um, and they're not all created equal whatsoever. I mean, my own story was seeing someone who was kind of famous in the gut health space. He used some, he's actually, he doesn't, I, I happen to know he doesn't use that test anymore. But at the time, it was a long time ago, he was using a test, I won't name them, that I think sucks. And that's just something you learn. You're like, you know, this test wasn't that good. And he told me, 
well, you know, nothing really showed up. You could do nothing. I was like, thank you. Next. Um, or you could do this. And so testing doesn't always pick up everything. I use the best test that I found. When a new test comes out from another company and shows promise, I try it. So far, I'm disappointed. <laughs> um, but I just want what is clinically useful and that I can do something with. So what's happening now that's really making me sad about the functional approach is that I think that so many practitioners, we just, people just want to, we just want to help people, right? You just want to help people. So people get into functional medicine, um, but then we're putting a little too much emphasis, just like we did in our conventional roles, in the test instead of the symptoms. And I'm just going to tell you flat out, the test is the tests that we have on the market in general uh, across the board are not going to tell you everything you need to know forever. They're just not. And so they're imperfect. I still use the testing because they're very validating for clients. And when they have very specific GI imbalances, it can be very helpful to target the treatment for that. But I'm going to still be like really comprehensive regardless. And I'm going to listen to the symptoms more than I'm going to listen to the test. So if nothing else, I hope that you can take that away because now it's getting more common for me to have someone in my sphere or that comes into my virtual office or books an appointment and they have kind of been failing out of the functional approach that they've been doing. And so what I have to, it's actually like more work, unfortunately, because I want to make sure I only want to work with them if I'm going to be successful. So I've got to hear what they did, see the test, understand what they did for protocol and then assess like, oh yeah, that probably wouldn't work. So anyway, I hope that that's helpful. I think I've been having that conversation like uh, so much over the last few months and it's unfortunately disappointing. So maybe, maybe in the future, um, it's about time for me to pay it forward and to teach clinicians, but I don't know. We'll see. I still like helping clients. So remember if you are a clinician, a licensed clinician, and you do see clients, um, come to my very limited Ask Krista session on, in July. It's askkrista.com. If it fills, we'll add another one. Um, and then we'll see if we like it. It'll be fun. So askkrista.com would be your call to action. If you found this helpful, please share it with someone who you think could use it. I would love if you would write a review. Um, it's actually gotten a lot easier to do. Thankfully, Apple has updated their interface. I don't know where you do. I'm like looking at Spotify right now and not even really sure where you do the, the, the review, unfortunately. But your reviews just mean a lot to me. And I think if you can share a review, it helps me know if you like these episodes or different episodes. I am reserving space in my life right now. Like I took a hard stop on over putting myself second and taking on, um, doing too many client appointments a day so I can have space to serve you in this podcast. So if you can just do me a solid and write a review or send a nice message, or just let me know what you're liking, or let me know if you have a question that I can answer here, I would just appreciate it. I, I just am at the place in life where I just I'm into paying it forward, but I'm also going to do it in a, in a way that is useful for more people. So if you send me a message, it's going to be answered here. Hope you have an awesome day and thanks for listening. <laughs>